So the talk today is entitled Resolving Distance. So I've talked about uh, the uh, very refined inhibition to moving forward. It's a very subtle inhibition, and that is giving up our our worldview, the worldview being what we take the world to be and ourselves within it. And you can work very individually with different uh, problems within that worldview without touching the worldview. You can work a long time on a sense of self and what this is, and you can work on on, uh, looking at what time is or... You can look at what objects are and what's the subjects and the subject-object relationship as we've been talking about and how when an object is perceived as something, I come in as someone seeing that somebody. So you can have a lot of very refined and encouraging insights into the worldview and the worldview can maintain itself. So... At some point, you, you see how it is that we're seeing the world as being a limitation. Because you can't see the world as it is without a sense of self being as it is. And so if you're really interested in digging up the roots of the dandelion and not just having a a yearly flowering of the same weed from last year, you have to go into this. You have to go into the maintenance of the worldview. Now, I know that many of you did not come in this retreat to (laughs) mess around with your worldview. But here we are. If you'd read the, <laughs> and the course description, and by the way, Narayan and I are going to do a similar online course in May next year with a very defined definition and description. Please read it <laughs> and decide whether you want to join. This is the way this goes. It doesn't leave anything intact. And it sounds threatening, and it sounds, well, he's telling me to give up. No, I'm not telling you to do anything. I'm just saying this is the way it goes. This is the way the water flows. Stay as long as you need in whatever structural, conceptual frame of reference you have, as long as you need it. I wouldn't suggest moving out of it. And then you'll find that there's some intimation of despair regarding that particular enclosure and you'll want to move out of it. And that's why I always say that this is a this isn't a push, I should, this is a pull. I yearn for it. And you just that's how you follow your way out the door. And so when when you have moments of see, seerless seeing, 
Are you following me? Seeing without a seer, the world is a form is at your disposal. You see everything. That which is not of form, formless, sees everything because it holds all form. So you see the most refined dharma. You don't have to have concentrated minutia to be able to see. You don't have to have your power of mind so strong that microscopic, you know, you just, it just sees it because it's coming out of it. It knows it to be what it is. And so when you invite seeing to see, it sees. And it doesn't stop seeing. <laughs> and so this, this sense of, of worldview is a very refined sense of seeing duplicity, of seeing separation. And up until this point, until this is seen, we just keep coming back. We'll have moments in which we break it apart. And if we had looked at those moments in which it's broken apart, you all see, see that the worldview is broken apart in that moment. But then immediately when you come out of that insight or that revelation, it comes right back in and forms itself as a solid continuum. And you can just, can't you feel it? I mean, just... I mean, it's <laughs> so it's helpful to me sometimes to know that first of all, other people, this is the way of liberation, and so I'll, I'll read Buddhist words and tell, or Christian words, or whoever the prophet might be, that show that this is the way they too developed because it makes me not think that I'm on my own track and I don't want to I don't want to create self-confusion I'm not I don't want to delude myself so it's helpful to have others who have seen in this way it's also helpful for me to know that science sees in this way because that's his objection that's objective seeing or as close as it can go that's distorted by scientists but it's pretty objective and so I'm just going to take you on a science journey. You aren't supposed to understand this because I don't. I can't explain it. I can't explain it. It just is interesting. Okay, so let me just take you on a little science trip here. So the Big Bang, which is the, the creation of the universe, is said to have happened 13.8 billion years ago. At the moment of the Big Bang... All of light was created. All the lights you see, the photons, the uh, quantum particles of light called photons, were created in that first initial uh, uh, it wasn't actually a bang. It was I don't know what. But whatever happened then, that's where all the photons were created. Now listen, this is where it gets interesting. According to Einstein, which is as one goes faster towards the speed of light, time slows down. So if you're traveling at half the speed of light, time is a very different reference form. 
And if you circled back and came back to Earth, we all would have aged many, many more times than you would have. Uh, and you would show up, you know, half our age, even though the same length of time from Earth standards would have taken, uh, would calculated that trip. Okay, so as you get faster towards the speed of light, time slows down. You don't have to understand that. That's just, that's a scientific fact. At the speed of light, which no object can go, but a photon goes because that is light, at the speed of light, everything stops. There's no time. Now the photon has stopped, which means from the photon's perspective, it's still within the Big Bang. It's never moved outside of it. And from our perspective on whatever light shows us and reveals is the Big Bang, is the, is, is the first act of creation of the universe. So I say to myself, Where's the big bang in me? I can see the movement of the photon coming 13 billion years and showing up now. I can see that movement because that's my movement. Where's the big bang moment of light? If you get absolutely still, you see that there has never been time. It's totally arrested has never moved. Something has never moved. And that's the derivation of light. Okay. That has nothing to do with my talk. (laughs) (laughs) But it's so interesting. And it shatters the world view. I love it when you take something very precious, perhaps the most precious thing, is how we hold ourselves in our world and It gives us relevance. And you take it, and you love it, and you treasure it, and then you throw it on the floor and crash it. And you don't try to pick up the pieces. Now, I want to examine time and distance, in particular distance, Because we are mistaken in our use of distance. It's a mind-created phenomenon, and I'll get to that later. It is not in and of itself true. Just no more than speed is true, a true standard. Distance is not a true standard. Here's just another quick scientific thing. Because when you move, time goes slower when you're in movement than somebody who's sitting still. Someone who is walking and you're sitting is having a different expression of what now is than you are sitting. We're not experiencing the same content of now. We're experiencing the same now which is free of content, but not the same movement of content within now. That's, not, that's an individually determined phenomenon. So my now doesn't look like your now.
So when we examine distance, we have to examine experience. Because experience has a perceived distance to it. I experience, I, there's always an I within experience, perceive an object. Now why aren't, if the fact is that everything is together in ways that we don't perceive, arising together, how is it that in my perception of life, there's a distance? The mind handles that quandary by experience. I experience that. To experience life, life has to be outside of you a little bit. Only slightly. Off timing. There's the experience of life and then my experience of it. And we step back, that time gap is that we step back and consider what life is offering in terms of a safety mechanism for us. I don't want it to come crashing. I want to have a a ponderance. I want to have a moment in which I can consider whether I want to join the moment or not. Whether I want to pursue this object enticingly or from a sense of aversion. And so I create a distance in me in which I see the world as an objective fact, not as a joined union. But we don't think that way in in Dharma. We think we need that experience. We want to have that experience. He talked about an experience. Oh, I want that experience. That must confirm something in me. It does. It confirms you. Having an experience confirms you because you've got to be in place in order to have an experience. So experience is not the model going forward. It's a limitation on the model that keeps me, myself, in place and the world objectified and outside. And we do that time lag for, as I mentioned, self-protection. It keeps me safe. And as long as we feel the need to keep myself safe from the objects of the world, that is what I call a divided mind. A mind, their eye, the sense of eye, is outside the arising of the, of, the, of the whole, which is, say, the mind. What, we take ourselves out of the mind and have an objective experience of the mind and whatever the mind's data is telling us about reality. And so it always feels like we're, we're having a mental experience just like we're having a, an experience of cushion over there and me here. That's a mental experience of life as I have arranged it for my safety. That's not science. That's insight. You experience that. If you're quiet enough, if you want it, you can see it because all of form, formation arises within the formless. And if you just get still and become the formless, you see it. But we don't want that because it takes us 
puts us out of control. Most of us don't want it. But it's so harmless. (laughs) You don't lose the protectedness. You don't lose the action required in the moment. If anything, you lose the fear of the action, the hesitation of the action. That's what spontaneity means. You don't lose action in spontaneity. It just isn't considered. It arises out of the moment, but we don't have faith in that. We have faith in me deciding what to do in the moment, but we don't have any faith of the action of me arising within the moment. As the moment, as the moment, as the moment. You see, instead of being what is arising, we experience what is arising. We have made, we have, we have made that agreement in ourselves that instead of being what's arising, we'll experience what is arising. We've made that agreement. We've made that contract in ourselves. And we're taught that contract culturally. And being scares us to death because why? Because we just refuse to join. We refuse to unify our mind. When the unification happens, it's not the mind in me that's the the divided mind is the mind in me unification is still those two come together there's no mind and there's no me we create the mind to we split it apart in an infinite number of ways we let the mind handle the dirty work But those two things come together. So let's just look a little more refined. Again, this is insight. This is not having read it somewhere. What happens in the moment of experience? The moment of experience, in order for me to be protected from it or to at least consider whether I want this experience in my life, I have to have remembered what a similar experience was like before. So my perception is covered with memory, the past. And so what I see in the world is my past, is the past in terms of its reflective similarity to situations like this going forward and also right now. And then I weigh in 
in consideration. Oh yeah, I can I can join this moment. It went, it went well. I didn't say this. It, it's it's in a flash. It went well in the past. I can I can go along with this one. Or I like her. She, she was kind to me before, and maybe she'll be kind and all that, or he or whatever. And so we move in accordance to our past reflection. We move away from our 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 past memories of aversion and. And we're locked into those frames of references for virtually every object we see. Even if we haven't had an experience of what we have seen because it hasn't been in our life, we can associate similar objects to what we see and extrapolate onto this new object and determine a course of action from that. This is the way it is. (laughs) I'm not making this up. And we're... Perfectly comfortable having that arrangement in life. For a while. Now I want to bring in an example here, which uh, a dear friend, uh, early on in her life, uh, she had an awakening experience. It disoriented her. She saw who she was in a completely different relationship than the way the mind sees us. Her, her worldview turned all around. It was a genuine reopening, and she says it disoriented me. I couldn't get it. I couldn't get back. I couldn't. I couldn't figure out what to do going forward. And so she contacted me for some spiritual advice, and we. Over the court, now she's older, and uh, she feels remiss in having let that experience release that experience so that it just becomes a memory to her. Although she can still still feel some effects of it, mostly it's a memory in her. And she was saying, I want to renew my acquaintance with this thing, It, it held tremendous treasure. And I said, well, you're expecting that to happen on its own? And she says, yeah, I thought if I just left it alone, it would have its ongoing cause and effect on my... And I said, it didn't, did it? I didn't know. I said, well, you have to show up for it. You expect, the unco- you expect to package it as a memory into your unconscious and for it to have effect on your consciousness? You have to be conscious. Make it conscious. Bring the consciousness together. So she said, well, how do I do that? I said, is there a remnant of that experience in your aliveness now? Can you feel a remnant, an etching? When you have, even an insight leaves an etching. But this was a revelation. The etching was deeper and more profound. And she says, yeah, I I I can feel it still there. I said, well, go to that. Flesh it out. Bring it out. Make it alive again for you. Just enter it. Be it. Don't think about it. Don't wish it were there. Go to what remains of it. Enter it. Don't put any distance between you and it. And we've been working since then about how to make it not only alive, but to not only, it's not just that, 
now. It's moving it forward into new possibilities, into new ranges, into new areas of, of seeing and profound changes. And she, so she's right in there now, in the middle of it. And it's not confusing to her at all. What was confusing was having had the experience, mem- putting it under memory's protection, and then missing it, knowing that there's something out there vital that no longer has a direct contact to my heart. <clears throat> Once she brings that back into the heart, she's alive now in ways that she wasn't before. Refreshing it. Now, each one of us have had, it may not be that revelatory, but we've had experiences excuse me, we've had insights. Insight is not an experience. Insight is a silent awakening to a point of view that you didn't have before. It's silence, stillness, brings shifts the way we look at something. And so you see it from silence. You have an insight. And then you try to capture it as an experience and, and propagate it as, go, what, what, what do I... What do I do with this? Well, I don't know what to do with this. It's so different than my worldview. I will just remember I had it. Maybe I'll write it down somewhere. But that doesn't do anything. It just just puts memory around it. And then the memory turns into experience. I want to experience that again. But it was never an experience. I want to experience it again. I want to experience what he or she did. And so we chase this this experience, an experience, because that's the only way we know the world. We think that's the only way the world can get in. (laughs) Now, every insight or revelation you've had still speaks within you. You just have to go to it with complete openness, innocence. Don't try to conceptualize it and let its intellect, the intellect tell you what it was. Go to it. Become it. Be it. Let it express now your way forward. Even if it's out of context to the whole worldview you have, you know this is truer than the worldview. The worldview is just created from what you want the world to be in terms of stabilization. Insights break that stabilization. Don't try to fold them back into a stable world. That's the wrong way to move forward. Let those revelations, and I call insight, and the next step up is a revelation where it's, it's more of a, an orientation. Let those revelations move forward in you. Let them be alive. Let them thrive. Nourish them. Encourage them. Further revelation. Further. It's not an intellectual process. The intellect is the experiencing. What the mind does when it experiences or mulls over an experience. It thinks about it. It it indulges it. That's not what I'm suggesting here. You see, mostly our meditations have come through experience. 
through me having a, an object. I'm the seer of the object. It's an experience. There's a distance there. Even when you're sitting in a retreat like this one where we're addressing any distance we have to the fact of life, still we go in and we, you know, oh, my sore knee, oh, God, and all the memories associated with that, or we just keep everything distant from us. But that distance is conceptual. It's mind created. It is not a fact. It can be held in awareness. The, con- the conceptualization, the, the sense of me here and what I'm experiencing there. You just hold the whole thing. You hold the me and what I'm seeing and the distance as a single, aware- as a single awareness. And then you don't... And then you allow yourself to be that experience. To, that's the It's real. anything puts distance and there's no distance here as you allow the asness of you to enter <laughs> the enter it so there you see it all you see it all it's all rising spontaneous it's not something i'm not in a position that puts what i see at a distance because i'm living the living experience the living spirit of distance is living as the experience, not with the experience. As the experience. And you can do this. It's amazing how easy it is to do. Just close the distance down. And you start feeling almost, it's, there's a shift of you seeing it, which is often like a horizontal thing, to being it, which is a vertical expression of life. Awareness is still aware of what's happening. It's just that you're not putting yourself in position to interfere with that. The whole thing takes on a different arrangement. And it can be done simply, very easily. It means moving, letting the memory go. Letting the memory go. Letting the self-protection go. Because even in our spiritual meditation, you know, we know this thing. We know the mind. We know the body. We've been through it a hundred thousand times. We know the mapping of it. We know, our, oh, here it is. This, this is coming up again. There's value to repetition, but there's also extraordinary limitation well, because you're not seeing anything new or in a different way. And that's because you're keeping it maintained through memory. You've had it before. You know it. When you first sat down, you didn't know it. And that was probably as close as you ever got to the truth of life. What is going on here? What is all this? My God, my mind. It's like that, right? But then we got afraid of what we were seeing. We needed some way to protect ourselves from what we see. So we made it into an experience of what we see. Are people following this?
doesn't your heart come alive when you sense the possibilities of this? Are we so tucked into our routine? I've been doing this for 20 years. What does he know? Well, I've been doing it for 50. What do I know? My heart comes alive. It comes alive. It's refreshed moment after moment because life is looking to be refreshed. It's not looking to be held up in a memory, to be consoled or detained or corralled within a memory. Now you can follow your routines and other teachers telling you what to do, but likely you're just going to follow their memory, their details. And if they're honest for a single moment, they would say, you know what, I don't know what a goddamn thing is. (laughs) And that would be the truth. At least I'm saying that off the fact. People still want to listen to me. (laughs) They don't proclaim yourself anything. It all goes backward. (laughs) I can't understand why anybody would do that. What? I don't understand it. So in your life, in your, the life left here, at least on retreat, move from with, I'm, I'm, having, I'm walking with awareness. You're never going to know awareness walking with it as a safety mechanism to be experienced. Awareness is alive. <laughs> It's not contained in an experience or in a, you, when you walk with it like that, you're making awareness the formless, the formed. You're making it into something that I can experience and be safe with. Why would you ever want to make the one thing that is heart driven into something that is thought driven? which is formation. We live this thing or it dies within us as a thought, as a mechanism, as a technique, as a practice, as a journal entry. Where's the aliveness in this moment? When we're sitting back mulling over our past, our resentments, our griefs, where's the aliveness in this moment? Where's the touch of the Sistine Chapel? The spark 
Where's the heart? Where's the embrace? Where's the union? Where's the sacred? Where's the living spirit? Aren't we interested in that? Or do you just want to worship it, going to church and praying for it? Okay, I leave you with that question. Can we just sit for a minute or two?